into chapter 24 and verse 12. But as we think about this, um, I don't know just how you're doing in this time of lockdown. I, I have uh, three grandsons in America and I haven't been able to go to see them last year. I'm not even sure I'll get to see them this year. Last year I was to do ministry for six weeks in, in, in Tenerife, but that was cancelled. I'm due to do six weeks ministry this year in Tenerife, and I think it's likely to be cancelled too. There are so many things that we are uncertain about. But this morning, we're not going to think about uncertainties. We're going to spend some time thinking about certainties, things that we can be absolutely sure of. So with that in mind, let's turn to read together. Unplug it. Yeah. Unplug it. Don't worry. I don't yeah, have to use the sound. On than on no, don't, don't. I'll just unplug it. Don't worry. Thank you. Uh, unplug the sound or whatever. Yeah. I, I had a, a song that a friend ha had written for a conference that I was preaching at a little while ago uh, that you prayed for. So thank you so much for that. The Lord really helped. And uh, my friend wrote, the wrote, wrote this song and another friend sang it. And it's a very beautiful piece. And while it's not focused specifically on the resurrection, it alludes to it. So I thought I would play it at the end of the message, but it seems as though there's a conflict the folks at home uh, need, need to hear. So are we unplugged, Nicola? Are we unplugged? Can we go ahead? Give her one minute. Oh, give her one minute. We're unplugged. Okay, well, let's just turn then to this uh, passage and we're going to read it then. So it's Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 50, and the heading in my Bible is Jesus' burial. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. 
When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful passages we read in the Bible, which teach us about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. And we want to ask, Father, that this morning, you would allow us through your Holy Spirit to travel back as it were in time that we might linger at the cross and at the graveside that we might be allowed to drink in the detail as it were of what was happening and we pray father that you would so touch us that our hearts would engage and our minds also that as we consider what your word says that we might be impacted profoundly and that the response of every heart this morning might be one of worship and praise to the great God we ask these things father as we say thank you in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus amen it's very difficult for us to imagine what it was like to be in the crowd at Calvary. I'm very sure that we would have found the whole setting and scene rather disturbing. I don't think that we would have found it easy to look at Jesus dying on the cross. Perhaps there would have been those in the crowd who were curious to know what was going on. Perhaps there were some who viewed it as a kind of an afternoon's entertainment. But there would have been those there who were deeply distressed at just witnessing pain being inflicted on people. Had we been there and close enough to the cross, we might have heard the Lord cry out, it is finished. Those three words, it is finished. Just one word in the Greek, tetelestai. And it's borrowed from the world of accounting. If you were in business and you received an invoice and then you paid the bill, you would have written across the bill, paid in full. Well, that's the word that Jesus cried out, tetelestai, paid in full. You see, his, his mission had been accomplished. His work of redemption completed. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. His cry was actually a cry of triumph. It was used as a bedtime prayer by Jewish children. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I think that's quite insightful. Because it tells us how the Lord died. 
he died, died confidently, willingly, victoriously, entrusting himself into his father's hands. Now, none of the followers of Jesus had even the slightest glimmer of hope. And that's why most of them ran away, the men at least. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Arimathea was thought to be just north of Jerusalem. And what do we know about him? Well, he was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the people who made decisions relating to all the religious activity. And yet, strangely, neither he nor Nicodemus, who was also a member of the council, were present when the council voted to condemn Jesus. We were led to believe that it had been a unanimous vote. And Mark 14 says they all condemned him as worthy of death. But somehow, Joseph wasn't there. We don't know why he wasn't there, present at the meeting. Maybe he'd been out of Jerusalem on business. Or perhaps he'd been slightly out of step with his peers and they just chose not to invite him to the meeting. We don't know because we're not told. John tells us that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. And what a shock it must have been for Joseph to learn of the decision to crucify Jesus. Again, we're not given any detail, but we wonder if he had been out of town, did he arrive back in time for the crucifixion? If he did, surely he would have made his way to the cross. The secret disciple, but he loved Jesus. How watching Jesus on that cross must have cut his heart to bits. And so Joseph decided that he wasn't going to be a secret disciple anymore. And we read that he went to Pilate asking for Jesus' body. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Joseph took quite a risk in going to see Pilate, because the truth is that the Jewish leaders had kind of manipulated Pilate into agreeing to allow Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate could have come down hard on Joseph to get his own back on the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. And not only that, he took a risk because coming out for Jesus meant everybody would know that he was in sympathy with Jesus. So he was likely to be ostracized by the, his peer group, the other members of the council, because he was standing against them. And not only that, we see something of the measure of the love that he had for Jesus because the Passover was coming. 
And if he was going to touch a dead body, he would be unclean for seven days. And that was an enormously big deal. Yet such was his love for Jesus that he decided that he would go and ask for the body. There was no time to waste because the Sabbath started at the sunset. So having received permission, he made his way to the cross and gently took down the body of Jesus. He wrapped it in linen and put it in his own tomb. And surely Joseph, Nicodemus, and the women had run out of hope. For the Lord that they loved and walked with and worked for had gone. And their hearts were absolutely bereft of hope. And I guess Joseph's only consolation was that he had sought at the end to honor Christ. Yes, he'd been a secret disciple while Christ was alive, but when Christ had died, he was no more secret. He didn't care about that. And the women who followed Jesus, they had never made a secret of their care and love for him. They had faithfully followed Jesus right to the cross, and they had witnessed his gruesome crucifixion. And when the men ran away because they were frightened that they might become the next victims, the women stayed there. And I think they must have deeply approved of Joseph's actions. Look at verse Verses 55 and 56. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath day in obedience to the commandment. Because of the time pressure, the body of Jesus had not been anointed in the normal custom. And when the sun rose after the Sabbath was over, they would be ready. So they went home and gathered spices so that they could anoint the body of Jesus in an appropriate way when the Sabbath was over. I don't imagine they slept very well. I think the time must have gone very slowly for them as they waited. And like Joseph, they had no hope all they could do as a final act of care and love was to anoint his body. And there are a number of things that we notice about the, these women. The first is this, is they were bewildered. Now, it's very easy for us to allow our knowledge of the story, our knowledge of what happens, uh, to dull us to the dark sackcloth that cover these women's souls. They were depressed, they were devastated, they were exhausted, and they were absolutely bereft of hope. But they wanted to anoint the body of Jesus as a last expression of love. And as they went to the tomb, they were so focused on, on what they were about to do that it never occurred to them 
about the big stone that needed to be rolled away. So Mark says they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Clearly, they didn't expect anything at the tomb other than more sorrow. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. They did not find the body of Jesus. And now they were surely not only bewildered, but confused as well. And they assumed that somebody had somehow broken into the tomb and stolen the body of Jesus. In John's Gospel, Mary saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. The empty tomb only intensified their bewilderment and their pain. Then we notice that they were gently rebuked. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Wow. These angels radiated the intense splendor of the holiness of God. And it's no wonder that when they were confronted by them, that they were frightened and they bowed down with their faces to the ground. And I'm, I, I'm not sure that it was respect that made them bow down. I'm pretty sure it was their fear because of the brightness of what they were seeing. Like Saul on the Damascus Road, when he met the Lord, he fell to the ground. And I suspect were we to see the Lord just now, that we too would fall to the ground. These women were filled with fear. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that wonderful? Why do you look for the living among the dead? John Stott said that Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. It is no surprise that down through the centuries, Satan has sought to undermine the truth of the resurrection. You may remember a number of years ago, there was an Anglican Archbishop, the Archbishop of Durham, who referred to the resurrection as a conjuring trick with Obans. The first lie that Satan spawned was that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. But it's very difficult to imagine how they could have done this. To begin with, the tomb was guarded by soldiers. And it would have been next to impossible for the uh, disciples who were so frightened that they'd run away to actually come and confront the soldiers and overpower them and open the tomb and secure the body. But the biggest ob obstacle is the fact that the apostles themselves did not believe that he would be resurrected. And if they didn't believe that he would be resurrected, why would they steal his body and try to perpetrate a hoax? Why? And then 
A second lie that Satan spawned is that Jesus didn't really die, but that he only swooned on the cross. And when he was put in a cool tomb, he, he kind of it took him time to come around to revive. But Pilate carefully checked with the centurion to see whether or not Jesus was dead. Do you remember the Roman soldiers broke the legs of, of, of the two thieves? Why? So that their bodies would drop and that they would suffocate. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. These men were experts at executions. They did it regularly. And they saw that Jesus was dead. And just to be sure, they thrust a spear into his heart. How could a cool tomb transform Christ's body so that he could appear and disappear and walk through walls? Resurrection-denying churches look for Christ amongst the dead. But we don't look for Christ amongst the dead. We look for Christ amongst the living. Why? Because he's alive. And how do I know that? Because he lives in my heart. And I know that he lives in many of your hearts too. So these women were bewildered and then they were rebuked. And then they were instructed. The angel said, he's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They were challenged to remember the explicit prophecies the Lord had made in Galilee. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus taught them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now they'd heard, but they hadn't understood. But now they were beginning to understand. Now we don't know if they immediately believed he had risen, but they remembered. How sad it is when we forget God's words and as a consequence live defeated lives. God gives us the Holy Spirit, John 14 verse 26, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. The Spirit reminds us. But you know something? He can't remind us of stuff that we don't know. Isn't that right? He can only remind us of what we, what we do know. The Spirit will remind us. How often has it happened that maybe you've been sharing faith with somebody, they ask you a question, and a Bible verse comes to mind that answers the question. I have to tell you to my shame that I've never sat down and memorized scripture, but I'm able to quote quite a bit of it, and mostly from the authorized version, which is a real puzzle because I've never really read the authorized version when I was, a, I became a Christian when I was 22 and a bit, and I, I didn't have a, a background of, of, of going to church and reading the Bible, but I can quote it. How's that? That's the, what the Holy Spirit does. He, 
He embeds the word in our heart and then he brings it to mind whenever we need it to remind us. As the psalmist said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So that means we need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people who not just mark our Bibles. We need to be a people whose lives are marked by what we read in our Bibles. Because God has told us lots of things and the Spirit reminds us and how wonderful that is. So the women were bewildered, they were rebuked, they were instructed, and then we find them witnessing. They witnessed. Look at verses 9 and 10. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who had told this to the apostles. Now, I'm not sure how much of this they understood at this point, but they were quick to speak about what they had seen and heard. In fact, I don't think they could keep it in. And you know, when the truth of God grips us, I don't think we can keep it in. We just have to talk about it. You'll remember when the shepherds went to Bethlehem, having been told by the angels that the Savior had born, had been born. Do you remember what they did when they left? When they had seen the Christ child, they, they talked about it everywhere. They couldn't keep it in. When they had seen the Lord, they spread the word. That's what the text says. When they'd seen the Lord, they spread the word. They couldn't do anything else. And these women, having witnessed the empty tomb and hearing the words of the angels, they just couldn't keep it in. They couldn't keep it in. So they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And the, the apostles were also told. But you know, strangely enough, when the disciples were told and the apostles, they weren't impressed at all. They didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. How could somebody rise from the dead? It's interesting. Maybe they just regarded the women's witness as female hysteria, you know? Weakness of women, female hysteria. I don't believe that. And yet some commentators use different words to describe it. One common commentator says that they viewed the women's uh, comments as silly talk, another as humbug, and still another as babbling. Unless we get too harsh and critical, we probably would have done the same thing or worse, given our sin and dullness. Nevertheless, these were the apostles, the men over whom Jesus had prayed for an entire night before calling them. Their faith would be the foundation of the church. Jesus had explicitly told them on numerous occasions about his death and resurrection. You remember that famous Caesarea Philippi declaration where Jesus said to them, who do people say that I am? He often asked questions in order to steer a conversation. Uh, and when they, 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 they said, well, some say Elijah, he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ. And th at that point, Jesus then began to teach them 
that he was going to suffer and die. So he had taught them explicitly on several occasions about his death and impending resurrection. But now they dismiss the women's witness about an empty tomb and call the angel's words humbug. Like so many of us, they had heard, but not heard, God's word. They never bothered to think that Jesus meant exactly what he said. They heard the words, but not the message. I wonder, are we like that? Do we hear the words but not listen to the message? And how we need to hear the words and listen to the message. The apostles failed to put into practice what they did understand. Jesus had prayed for them in John 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And maybe Jesus prays that prayer for us too so that we might get to grips with God's word. If we are to grow in Jesus, it will be because we grab hold of what God's word teaches us. We go to the word to meet Jesus. We meet Jesus in the word. It is by hanging out with Jesus, if you'll pardon the modern expression, it is by hanging out with Jesus that we get to know him. Just imagine you had a young couple who got married in the church. And uh, the, the new husband said to the wife, well, it's lovely to, to spend time with you. And I'm looking forward to our honeymoon. And when we come back from the honeymoon, we must make an arrangement to meet up and have a meal together sometime. That would be lovely. It wouldn't be a relationship that would be starting off on the right, right road, would it? Because any relationship, folks need to spend time to invest in the relationship for the relationship to grow. It's exactly the same as us spending time with Jesus. Well, Peter then did what each of us needs to do. He went to find out for himself. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Now notice he ran, he didn't walk because there was a degree of urgency here. He needed to find out for himself. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Yet Peter's inspection led to wonder. It didn't lead to belief. It led to wonder, and wonder's fine as long as it leads to belief. But if wonder remains wonder, then it never has any substance. And so he wandered away. He saw the empty tomb. He was miles away from an Easter faith. But when, when an Easter faith grabbed him, what a difference the truth of the resurrection made to him. He and the other disciples were in an upper room and God sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came and, and anointed them. And then Peter went out and he began to preach. And boy, did he preach a sermon. He stood up there and he took the truth and he used it like a finger to jab it into the hearts of the people who were listening to him. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was the man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you 
by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. Wow, what a sermon that was. And the Holy Spirit of God came down, and there were 3,000 people there. And some of them shouted out, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 of the crowd, we don't know how many were in the crowd, came to discover the reality of Jesus that day. They were saved because of the resurrection power that anointed Peter's life to preach. A grand truth emerges from this story as it does in none of the other gospels. And the story is this, that the disciples did not invent the resurrection. At first, they neither understood it nor believed it. And none of the Gospels gives us any detail about how Jesus was resurrected. And do you know why? Because none of the Gospel writers were there. None of the Gospel writers were there. How did they resist creatively imagining such a spellbinding story for the church? They resisted because they were not myth makers. They were witnesses. They only wrote down truth. A man called Alexander McLaren said, the evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated. That's worth thinking about. The evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated. The only reasonable explanation for the apostles' devotion, the only reasonable explanation for them holding on to faith when the the alternative was to be martyred, when they were told, deny Christ and we won't kill you, the only logical reason why they were prepared to die was because they saw the empty tomb because they met the risen lord and because they came to believe the word of god and paul writing about it in first corinthians 15 said for what i received i passed passed unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and because I'm so committed to God's word I just want to point out there's a little phrase that's repeated there twice according to the scriptures so oh if you have to be anything Be a person who lines up with what you read in the book. Be a person of the book. Let the word of God saturate your soul. Because as it does, it will lead you closer to Jesus. And Paul is able to write, and with this I close. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all face a judgment. But because Christ died in the believer's place, the believer doesn't face a judgment of condemnation. We face a judgment of commendation. And remember the scripture says, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you'll receive a reward for it. What will it be like to stand before him and for him to review our lives? And to pick up on detail that we've forgotten. Things that we may have done, an act of kindness for a neighbor. That we've done for Christ. A word of kindness to a Christian who needs it. A, a, a gift to somebody who needs encouragement. Jesus said, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Wow, a judgment of commendation. And we can be sure of it, why? Because every promise that Jesus made, Jesus fulfilled. Had he not risen from the dead, we would have no hope. But he did. And he is our hope. He is our joy. He is our reason for living. And though sometimes we are so earthbound here that we don't think a lot of up there, but when we get to be with him, my word, we shall have an eternity of getting to know him and we shall have new songs to sing. And I, for one, am going to rejoice because I'm going to have a new voice. I'm going to be able to sing well. So let's just pray together. Father, we're so very grateful for the truth of the resurrection. And we thank you for those ladies who followed Jesus so faithfully and for the story of how you interacted with them uh, and how you appeared first of all to Mary. Lord, we sometimes wonder, are, are women more spiritually sensitive than men? They certainly seem to be. Lord, we thank you for this truth and we pray that you'd lock it into our hearts and that it might impact the way we live every single day. So please, Father, pour out your grace upon us. May your truth live in us and may we live in it. For the glory of your great name we pray. Amen. Amen.